over the course of human history. There's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. As we make the transition to the most listened to, requested, most phoned into, have all the calls. And all the programming that we do here at WABC, it is to the Animal Welfare Hour. Get a pen and a pen. I'm going to ask you to write down the phone number here because Mr. Verizon has screwed us. And I'm going to kill him after the show. I'm going to stalk him down wherever Verizon is hanging out and kill Verizon. They've done this to us on a number of occasions. So please get a pad and pen ready. I'm going to give you the number because I know many of you have questions for Nancy Animal Rescuer, as good as they get. And I know there are so many others out there like Nancy, men and women who volunteer their time to do it, that you don't get any attention or recognition. We also have the brand-new video edition of the Animal Welfare Hour, which is different than the radio edition. So, A, number one, you want to go to YouTube, you want to type in Red Apple Media, and you will see now three episodes that you can look at that are very informative, very instructive. And uh, number four episode will be available to you on Wednesday, and it's about pigeons, which I know some of you hate and some of you love. So you'll you'll be able to get your popcorn, and you can have your, your cheering and your booing sections. And, of course, if you've just discovered the Animal Welfare Hour, exclusive to WABC on radio, you can go to where all our podcasts are at WABCradio.com, and you can listen to all the past shows, and there are many. And, Nancy, uh, I got to say, this has really been a busy week for a lot of animal welfare issues to discuss. Oh, I mean, just nonstop, nonstop animal issues. Well, first off, I know that you may be very busy, I believe, as the clock strikes midnight, Monday into Tuesday, you'll probably tell me you have to go into Central Park, and I'll say why. And within 30 minutes, I'll I'll know why. Because I'll, I'll hear you baying to the moon, as is your nickname, Lone Wolf One. What exactly is going on Tuesday that has so many people wanting to uh, flock into the park? Uh, well, it's it is the full moon on uh, on Tuesday, so. I think that will cause a lot of people to go to Central Park. What impact do eclipses, full moons, the moon itself have on animal behavior as you've observed it with uh, cats? Um, you know, well, again, right, so it has effects on tides. So since uh, every body is composed of primarily water, it's going to have effects on, you know, internal systems of living creatures so, and then, you know, and then besides that, uh, everything can see at nighttime. So even though animals are nocturnal, you know, they're operating under the system that everything is usually hidden under the cover of darkness. So it really changes the elements of the equation overnight. Hmm. 
So have you seen behavioral changes, though, of the cats that you rescued from the animal control uh, shelters of New York City and have brought into our home when there's an eclipse or a full moon? Well, you know, not necessarily their behavior, but I think they pick up on behavior of uh, the different creatures outdoors. So they're always monitoring to see if anything's running outdoors. So, uh, yeah, I, I think they're more on point at that, at that uh, time. Now, speaking of cats, there have been a series of chemical attacks on cats in the Richmond Hill section of Queens. We've had guardian angels out there trying to follow up on it. Uh, a lot of attention has been given to it, and rightfully so. So can you, you please describe what's been transpiring there and maybe what you think is taking place? Okay, so there's uh, a number of cats that are cared for within a, a colony of cats, and they started noticing uh, certain injuries on the paws of the cats. So they noticed the first one. They thought, okay, well, you know, it stepped in something. But then two uh, further ones, uh, you know, came back with the same type of injury in within like a, a one-week time period. So they surmised that this uh, these cats had actually been, um, you know, again, whether it's purposeful or accidental, uh, it's like some sort of a caustic fluid has burned them. And so... Uh, you know, one thing to you know to note is that the organization uh, Puppy Kitty NYC. Now, this is the the group that's actually taking care of these cats and working with the local police, like trying to you know find out like what specifically is going on with these cats because they don't know if someone's doing this purposefully. And I mean, the extent of the injury. So, I mean, it sounds pretty mundane to say, oh, well, you know, just burn their paws. To see the injuries, one of the cats had to be put down because the extent of the burning, all four of the um, all four of the legs would have had to be amputated. That's how extreme it was. So this is really, really um, horrific types of injuries that's going on. So anyone who's in the area now, this is in Richmond Hill, Queens area, that this is going on, and you can find out more information, or if you have information, you can reach out to this organization, Puppy Kitty. NYC because, you know, I know that having worked with police before in these types of situations, they'll always tell you, I mean, you'd be surprised. You have to, um, you know, come to them with very specific information. It's not enough that you see someone. You need to have a picture of the person. If you see anyone in the area who's doing something, putting down a chemical, you know, have your camera, get a picture, make sure you have that, and then get in touch with this organization, and then they can be the go-between between the cops. So hopefully you can, you know, put an end to this. And we'll have guardian angels in the area trying to follow up on leads and talk to people. But it reminds me, many years ago, we were alerted to a series of cat poisonings in Astoria, Queens, not far from the pool. And by the way, the ineptitude of the city. Uh, the pool will not be open this summer because they decided to start fixing it now instead of back in the fall when they closed it. But in and around that area, there were a lot of cats, a lot of cat colonies, as they normally are uh, in those uh, park-like settings. And somebody was killing these cats, putting out poisons and killing them. And to his credit, John Katsimatidis put up a reward, a sizable reward. You were out there, Nancy, with the Guardian Angels of the Animal Welfare Division, and you were putting up the flyers and giving it out to people and explaining it to them. 
And although nobody was ever arrested uh, because of the intense focus, pressure, and attention, and the reward, there were no further cat poisonings. Yeah, right. So if you bring attention to the situation, uh, you know, hopefully that is what stops it. Now, you also, believe it or not, have people who are completely not mindful of something they're doing. They might be trying to keep another type of, oh, we have ants here. Oh, we have, uh, you know, roaches. We have um, rats. So we're just going to throw something indiscriminately down on the ground and not thinking the next step, oh, what other animals can come across this and what damage can it cause? So this could have alerted someone to the fact that what I'm doing is is irresponsible because it's harming other animals. So, I mean, there could be the element of educating people as well, like to be careful about how they do these types of things. Now, the New York Times has done a major piece on Flacco, the owl, who was let loose out of the Central Park Zoo. Flacco is living... And surviving on his own against the uh, predictions of a lot of the bird watches and the wild, the wild uh, life associations. And again, I can't say it enough, Nancy. He lives in the park. He has not been captured. There's no attempts to capture him any longer because he's become self-sufficient. And he feeds off of the rats and the mice in the park. So maybe, just maybe, people might say... Well, we got a rat problem. We don't have a rat czar yet. We have no policy to deal with the growing rat and mice menace. Maybe a combination of the feral cats that you've spoken about ad nauseum and owls in an area could really keep that population at bay since the rats and mice are nocturnal, the owls are nocturnal, and the feral cats are nocturnal. I mean, they certainly haven't tried it, and it sounds like a, a very logical solution. Now, meantime, speaking of birds, I noticed that you have positioned on the television screen in our apartment a nest somewhere in California. And every time I'm in and out, I notice there's either one bald eagle or the papa and the mama bald eagle and the two eggs that the, the mother bald eagle or the father bald eagle were keeping warm. Uh, tell us what that is, how people can actually see it for themselves, and what finally happened and uh, what is alarming many, many uh, of those who love bald eagles and other birds, the spread of this unbelievable, I guess you could call it an impairing virus that is affecting our fowl population. Yeah, so the the birds, the uh, what, what it is that I was watching on the YouTube is it's a nest that's in uh, San Bernardino Valley, and it's the nest of where uh, a bald eagle pair, they have their, their eggs every year. So... You know, I, I just came across it a few weeks ago, and this was when the extreme weather was just starting in San Bernardino. You know, and I'm watching. I'm like, this is this was so incredible because you're seeing this uh, like mother bald eagle sleeping on top of the eggs to the point where like being snowed on and covered in snow. So I mean, it really just drew my attention. But um, you know, in, in the past week, the eggs they were supposed to hatch and. Uh, they haven't hatched. So at this point now, the, you know, the two birds there, you know, the bald eagles, they're just not sitting on the eggs anymore. But apparently this is something that's going on throughout the United States. It's like um, it's called nest failures. 
So there's a high incidence of birds, uh, in particular uh, bald eagles, where they're not uh, the the eggs aren't actually coming to fruition. They're not becoming bald uh, actual you know little baby egglets, and they're saying that it's because they're getting a strain of the avian flu. Now, they've only recently started to test this, like in, in 2022, where they first found a bald eagle who was diagnosed with this. But uh, since the start of the pandemic, what they've diagnosed, what they say with the uh, avian flu, bird flu, is 58 million birds. So now this, you know, um, encompasses the chickens and the turkeys. Now they're also including, you know, what's considered wild birds, but the idea is that, you know, when when COVID first started and they first started culling these herds of, you know, all of these different animals for food, they realized there was a real uh, biosecurity issue going on, and they haven't gotten ahead of this. So it continues to be a problem with the, uh, you know, the food sources that are maintained. They're saying, oh, well, we don't know how these birds are getting sick. Well, everything comes down to maintaining uh you know, a concealed enclosure, if you're letting something in, it's gonna, they're going to get sick. So they're not maintaining, um, you know, sealed enough security to actually keep the flu at bay. And the problem is any of these birds that get out, they potentially could go anywhere and then infect, you know, become part of the food chain. So this is why you're seeing all of these wild birds now getting infected. And it's just a real issue because there's no way, obviously, to contain that and they're just starting to even look into this type of flu related to birds, and it's just so out of control already. Question, uh, how can people access the video that we've been watching? It's nonstop, 24 hours. When the eagles are in the nest, either the mother or the father eagle, sometimes they're together. The actions that they take in building their nest or repairing their nest or feeding one another walking around the nest, they actually take on human traits. They look like human beings. Yeah, it's called Big Bear Bald Eagle. Big Bear oh, yeah. <laughs> Bald Big Bear. Eagle. Yeah, and you'll, you, when you'll actually see it because it has like a still frame picture where it shows the, you know, the still frame of the nest itself. So you'll see the bald eagles in the shot. And again, it's just so up close to this nest, which is, I think it's about 160 feet up, the, you know, they explained. So the way that this camera is positioned, you can see everything, like every, you know, detail they, they do within this nest. This would be like if this uh, nest were in the old Ponderosa TV series where you had the redwood trees, the, the trees that were so high in the sky. You can look out into the valley. It's a magnificent view but it's all snow-covered, which is something you would normally never see in the San Bernardo County. It's like, I mean, we're talking a huge amount of snowpack. They've been clobbered there. And as you pointed out, the Eagles had a very difficult time surviving. They were under snow. They actually had to wiggle their way out from being buried under the snowfall, uh, the mother protecting her eggs. And as they've left the nest, the eggs are behind but it's too high. No predators are able to get that high to feast on these eggs. And what will become of these eggs? Because the, the eagles are still returning to that nest from time to time. Yeah, so the, the, um, the eggs in the past, apparently, that they've had that haven't hatched, uh, you know, they, they use the term, well, they, they've become part of the nest. So I think, you know, ultimately, 
the egg just will disintegrate. You know, I mean, and, and when you think about it, it's, it's such a, a sad sort of thing to imagine every time that these eagles come back, they're basically sitting on top of these eggs that just never hatched. But, you know, they don't, they don't throw them out. They don't kick them out. They just become part of the nest. Just to observe these bald-headed eagles, it's magnificent. It's like, wow. It's like I've never seen even what You go to a zoo, you see where they're confined. No, it's not like this. You should really, if you have an opportunity, you get a bird's-eye view of how these uh, eagles survive. And as you had pointed out the last time, the eagles mate for life, correct? Yeah, yeah they mate for life, so... Uh, This um, pair that they're showing has actually uh, been together now for, I think, about five or six years. So this is the fifth year that they've had um, eggs. And, you know, it's unfortunate, but it's been, I think, out of now, now this will be nine, only two of them have survived. So, I mean, that's the the proof in of itself right there that they're not able to hatch these eggs. And I got to tell you, you know, some of you are like Sid Rosenberg in the mornings. You know, he's always talking about the Housewives series, the reality shows, you know, Bravo. This is a real reality show. Just watching these magnificent birds that are the symbol of our country. And you can understand why. Uh, Remember, we have a brand new phone number because Mr. Verizon has failed us. I will deal with Mr. Verizon after the show. But if you'd like to uh, phone in. And uh, discuss what animal welfare issue is on your mind. Do so at 833-969-4447. That's 833-969-4447. And remember also, you can now go to the videos that are being made here at WABC in our studios of the animal welfare. It's a half-hour program different than what we're talking about on the radio You go to uh, YouTube and you type in Red Apple Media. Red Apple Media, you will see three episodes in the can. The fourth episode will be uploaded uh, and available for you to view on Wednesday, and it's about pigeons. And it discusses the pros and cons of the pigeons, of which there is a pigeon for every human being in the city of New York, whether you think of them as God's creatures or, as has been referred to them in the past, uh, rats with wings. Anyway, our number is 833-969-4447. That's uh, 833-969-4447. You know, there's been a lot of attention on the Ukraine because of the first anniversary when Vladimir Putin uh, had his T2 tanks storm in as they tried to take over the Ukraine but were repulsed. And the one thing I, I remember, Nancy, was the battle in and around the grounds of Chernobyl, the dormant nuclear plant that years ago almost melted down into the core of the earth. And boy, what a disaster that would have been for Mother Earth and the world and for all of us. But it's pretty much dormant. It's still a crew there at Chernobyl. But it's been populated by hundreds and hundreds of dogs. Can you explain their situation? Yeah, so, um, you know, following uh, everyone having to obviously evacuate the area, uh, whatever pets were left behind or, you know, just wound up uh, being there, initially uh, the plan was to try and exterminate them all because 
the concern that, you know, any wild dogs could potentially be uh, dangerous for people down the road. But, you know, they obviously couldn't get them all and the way that, you know, how fast they breed. So now there's there's hundreds of them that live in the area. And people who work there, obviously, uh, they're compassionate and they're feeding them. So, you know, it's a pretty vibrant, feral dog community that lives there. And uh, a few years ago, a couple different groups got involved, but they decided to try and uh, fix the dogs to keep the, you know, the population in check and things like that. I mean, now it's a little, it's a little curious, a little interesting. Um, I think they have obviously their own particular motives in place because they're just looking at, well, what is it that makes these dogs different? Because, um, you know, based on, you know, as they're doing all this work to help them out, they're taking blood and then they're researching it because, you know, it sort of defies logic. They shouldn't be able to have survived um, and, you know, thrived uh, living on the land for so long. So they were uh, doing DNA testing on them. What they're finding is that they're, even though they're similar to um, uh, dogs like German Shepherds and Boxers and Rottweilers, their DNA is actually different. So it's different than those dogs, um, you know, those breed. They're different than the feral dogs. They they have their own DNA that's been created. So now they're of interest to um, United States, Poland. All these countries are now doing research on these dogs that seem to have, you know, thrived in this catastrophic environment because they think it could be beneficial for humans. Our numbers eight three three nine six nine four 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 seven. It's a new number because Mr. Verizon has failed us. I'll deal with him after the show. 833-969-4447. And on the subject of the Ukraine, from time to time, our listeners and callers, or they'll send in emails or they'll text to us and they want to know what has happened to all the animals that had to be abandoned in the Ukraine at the start of the war. And apparently many of them are now in desperate need of help. Am I correct on that? Yeah, so when the when you know obviously the conflict uh, first started, the regulations were much different, and uh, you know the uh, the country was being very liberal on allowing these animals that are within the war zone to sort of leave the area and then be adopted out. So last spring, when they had more or less the open borders for these animals, you had volunteers that were coming uh, from. Uh, Germany and Poland, and they rescued out uh, like 5,500 pets, and those pets were adopted out, you know, elsewhere, and then 1,500 pets were adopted, you know, within the country itself, just in safer areas. But since then, they've clamped down on that sort of open uh, border. So now it's a little more difficult, and the thing that's happening now as well, too, is the animals that are being rescued. So, for instance, there was this one. Uh, there was a uh, one rescue that was being highlighted in the New York Times, February 28th. Uh, it's called uh, Dom Ivka, Home of Rescued Animals. And the reason I just wanted to mention is because it looks like it's a very, you know, legit place. And based on the fact that this story was covering the amount of animals that they've had since the start of the war and adopted out, but now the animals they're left with are really like the the true uh, victims of the war because they have so many injuries. Um, you know, they're finding the animals that really are struggling. So, you know, in addition to having, like, PTSD, I'm sure, 
they have these horrific injuries. So these are becoming very difficult to adopt out. And in the makeshift sort of shelters that they have, caring for them is obviously difficult as well. But they're doing the best they can because, I mean, they literally are the only hope for these animals. They're taking animals that are from petting zoos. I mean, animals that are basically abandoned. So, I mean, really, really doing heavy lifting to help animals that otherwise would just be left to perish. Now, speaking of animals left to perish, we've covered a number of stories of late about uh, generally women uh, hoarding cats in their buildings, their homes, their apartments. But then a really bizarre case in New Jersey emerged this week in which apparently a woman blew herself up in a house full of cats. Yeah, she. so this is in Roosevelt, New Jersey. Some woman was facing eviction for a while, and she, you know, the the police, the authorities had been there. She had been threatening, oh, I'm going to blow the place up, I'm going to set it on fire. So, again, obviously, this was, like, long-standing that this woman was, um, you know, clearly uh, not going along with the eviction process, and they were aware of the fact that she had these cats in the house, and she was, like, a cat sitter and a cat caretaker, so... Not only did she have personal cats, but she was in, like, possession of cats that she was watching as well. But, you know, this is, like, what she does. So, what, you know, she unfortunately decided that she, when the cops came that day, she didn't want to, to go. And she turned the gas on and she blew the house up. And apparently all the cats inside perished as well. Hmm. Wow. That, I, I, I'd never heard of a situation like that before. Have you? No. I mean, you know, it's unfortunate. Um Obviously, I mean, the the extreme nature of it is really unfortunate, but the the element of the eviction, unfortunately, there's so many animals that wind up in the shelter because their owners get evicted. When they get evicted, the, the police come in. As soon as the person is kicked out, whatever animal's left behind, they throw them in, like, basically the paddy wagon, and they bring them down to the shelter, and they they probably going to be euthanized. Now, speaking of cats, it appears that the bizarre-looking former prime minister of the U.K., Boris Johnson, who was partying there uh, at the prime minister's residence in the midst of the COVID lockdown, actually was considering killing all the cats at first during COVID. All the cats in the U.K.? Say it ain't so, Nancy. No, it is It is so. But again, right, this shows how little... Uh, respect there is given to the life of any of these animals. The statement was, well, there was a bit of evidence that domestic pets could transmit this, right? Like, not anything huge, but so because there was a bit, we contemplated asking the public uh, to exterminate their, their pets. Like, you know, thankfully they thought better about it and, you know, waited to, to sort of see what was going on. But, I mean, clearly... Not every country did. I mean, in China, they they weren't waiting to see. They just got rid of all the animals. So, you know, thankfully, they stopped that. That's incredible. Having spent some time in uh, England organizing Guardian Angels in London, but also visiting Manchester and Birmingham and Glasgow and Scotland, I got to tell you, those people there, they love their pets, whether they're dogs or cats, they're members of their family, the newspapers, you know, we'll get more people buying the newspapers because they have so many tabloids on Fleet Street. 
if they feature a story about dogs or cats than anything else. It could be international news. It could be news about the U.K., news about Northern Ireland, Scotland, Wales, England. They just loved it. I can't imagine how they would have gotten cats out of the hands of people who raise them in their homes without a fight. Yeah, I mean, and, and if you just utilize that logic with anything and say, well, there's a bit of evidence that fill in the blank, they, they could potentially be infectious. And just to suggest that, well, we're going to kill them at large, it makes no sense. There's just so complete lack of any humanity whatsoever. That's completely unacceptable. We're going to be going to our call soon, so start queuing up. It's a brand-new phone number. Mr. Verizon has let us down. I will take care of Mr. Verizon after the show. 833-969-4444. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Nancy, there was a 14-foot python snake found dead, not far from where you grew up out in Bohemia in Suffolk County. And apparently there are more and more of these very large snakes being found all over the tri-state area. Some are alive, they're slithering around or hiding. Others are found dead themselves. Why so many and why so many now? You know what? That's actually a really good question. Um, I'm, I'm going to have to go with general uh, e- economics. I'm thinking maybe it's a combination of they start getting expensive as they're getting older. Things are getting more expensive. Maybe people are also having to move you know, smaller spaces, but it's an odd sort of thing, right? 14, so it's 14-foot python. Now, this is one of the, I mean, it's actually like the longest snake possible, and they found it on the side of the road in Medford. Um, obviously, they don't have any idea uh, the identity of the owner. Um, they don't know how it died, so there's, you know, no, like, uh, foreseeable trauma that they are aware of. But at the same time, so, you know, they, they came, they, they grabbed it up, and now they're going to look into this, you know, to see and try to figure out what happened, you know, what's the cause of death for this python. But, again, like, so now the, the gator that was found in Prospect Park, there's no update on what happened at this point. Now, my presumption is they just probably euthanized it, but they haven't said that yet. And I'm not, you know, I have a feeling they might do the same thing with this python. So I think we got to be really aggressive asking questions to make sure they don't do anything, uh, you know, but try and save these animals. Well, think of it. We have Flacco the owl, who is a natural predator against uh, the rats and mice that uh, are growing as we speak. We have the feral cats. If you had snakes out there like pythons, they feed on rats and mice. And then alligators, they feed on rats and mice. Boy, if you had enough of these animals out there mixed in with us, probably do a lot towards uh, sort of knocking down the growing rat and mice population. Yeah, and, and they live in warmer environments. So, you know, I guess that, that's kind of good with it, it not getting too cold here in New York City. No snow. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I just have to mention it because... The mayor who wants a rat czar to deal with the rat, the mice, and the rodent uh, population, which is growing as we speak, 
uh, said he wanted one on December 7th. I had offered my services at night when they are out and about. In three days, he told me to go F myself and get off his property. Uh, we passed February 7th. We're approaching um, March 7th this week. He still doesn't have a rat's eye. You know, he reminds me of Hamlet. If you ever watched a Shakespearean play of Hamlet, Hamlet would would, would have the most noble of ideas at times, but would always ha- be uh, be plagued with inaction. He would never do anything. I think this is the problem that we have here. We have Mother Nature's way. I mean, think of it. We've had so many stories. We have the pythons. We have the alligator. We have Flacco the owl. We have the feral cats. All of them would exist by eating rats and mice and keeping their population at bay. Yeah, and and remember there was the, the little seal that came up out of the water, and it was in, in the roadway, and in the, the troopers, they grabbed it, and they, they, you know, they rescued it. They put it back in the ocean. Like, maybe it's trying to not be in the ocean. Like, it was trying to escape <laughs> so it could, could help us here on the land. And then uh, we saw the other night there was a series of uh, men and women. I guess they're volunteers. Uh, they live in the NYCHA projects, and they have these dogs, these terrier dogs that hunt rats. And they were killing rats, and they were putting the rats out for public notice. Uh, you know, it's almost like trophies. And yet that in and of itself can't keep the rat population down. So you have all these methods, and yet the city keeps focusing on either drowning the rats, rat traps, uh, or uh, the pesticides that impact negatively on all animals out there. It could be your dog. It could be a bird. It could be a, any animal that's out there, and they eat the poison, and it's a horrible death because it implodes their internal system. Yeah, I mean, and to your point, since it, they're never going to actually address the entire problem, the goal, they should always be getting safer. It should be, you know, focused on things like that. So the fact that it continues to be as poisonous as it is. You're not really making any advancement because not only are you poisoning the people, it's like the land, the other animals. So you haven't even come far enough to make that advancement. Now we're ready to try Mr. Verizon, who has let me down all weekend long, uh, to see if, in fact, the phone lines are connected. Let's go. Levi calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition here at WABC. Levi. Yeah, hi. Um, so basically, um, there's a cat that uh, I've been kind of close with, like, for a little bit over two months, like an outdoor cat. Uh, it seems like it's kind of a stray, um, but for the past two months, it's gotten really close. Like I sit on the same chair, pet it, feed it, all that. But uh, basically, um, the past couple of days, I noticed, like, something was going on with its eye, and it's, like, gotten really bad. Like, today it was, like, very swollen, so... Um, I have a neighbor um, uh, who also kind of um, helps out with the cats, so we're thinking of taking it to the vet. Um, the question is, I don't know how exactly to do that because I don't know if I can, like, put it in a carrier or anything. Um, I don't know how it's going to react, basically. Well, now, Nancy, you uh, you transport almost on a, a bi-weekly basis uh, cats uh, to the vet. We use uh, Dr. Nassau in Brooklyn. Uh, what would you recommend to Levi? Yeah, right. So um, if if there's a possibility that it's, you know, friendly enough to walk in, you can close it behind it. 
um, you know, because, you know, if you can do that, if you can somehow maybe for like a day have the carrier outside, so this way, you know, it's used to it, or you put the food in there, so then you just put the food in there for like a day, uh, feed it in the morning, feed it at night. So this way within like 24 hours, 48 hours, it'll be comfortable enough you can grab it. So, like, I know time is of the essence, but if you leave that out, then it's like the next time it goes, you put the food in there, it won't think anything of it and just close it right behind it. So maybe real quick you could do that training with the, the cat. Let's go to Mike in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Mike. Hi, Curtis and Nancy. Uh, Nancy, I don't know if anybody, uh, uh, I don't know if the uh, the, the wind turbine uh, mills, you know, the people were inspecting any of those turbines because I'm thinking that maybe it could be straight current in the water where there could be a spot where there's straight current. Like, I don't know if you ever heard where, where people, like, dive off of a marina uh, docks where there's current, straight current in the water. No matter how good of a swimmer that person is, the, ele- the straight electrical current, if there's any in that marina, will uh, uh, tighten that swimmer's muscles and they'll drown. So no matter how, the, people couldn't understand why these people were drowning after diving off marina uh, docks. So this is what could be happening to these whales. They could be like straight currents around these uh, turbines. Maybe, uh, maybe not the whole thing, but it could be a spot somewhere. And we need to have these people that own these turbines to do a voltage test in the water, like they do in marinas, and uh, to look for uh, straight currents. Because now they're up to like eleven whales. Uh, what do you think, Nancy? Well, you know what? So, yeah, I don't the, – the straight current, that I'm not particularly familiar with. Um, but it, in terms of the rest of what's going on with that, um, yeah, I, I think it's very clear that there was a lot of information that was given prior to this happening that the likely fallout was going to be this and for all the reasons. But none of that stuff obviously was, was stated now that you know what's hap- what was anticipated to be happening is happening, which is that it did seriously disrupt what's going on. The thing is that I'm reading lately that is actually even more disturbing is saying that this would continue until this would be decommissioned. So once they started, I don't even know if you can really, you know, it's not stop. Like they have no plan on stopping. So if they ever did publicly make a connection. They're way too vested in going forward to ever stop this, so they're just going to have to explain it away at this point. But I think the public relations nightmare is going to be this summer when all of these whales start washing up on the beaches all throughout New York City and New Jersey, because that's definitely going to happen. We've had more than 24 to date. The most recent one was in the channel separating New York and New Jersey. It was a humpback whale just floating through the channel. Again, a uh, necropsy was uh, going to be performed on it. We are not getting many details as to the result of all these whales dying. You had three dolphins uh, washed ashore in New Jersey on the Jersey Shore, likewise. So it's a growing, growing problem here. And all we keep hearing, Nancy, from the proponents of the windmills uh, out at sea uh, by the six-mile limit and I, I have no problem in generating electricity for our use by windmills, much prefer to uh, burning fossil fuels. 
But they, they just refuse to be open-minded that it might just be what it takes to install these windmills and to uh, sort of solidify them into the ocean's uh, bottom, uh, the sonar, the blasting, everything else that may be impairing the whales and the innate ability to navigate gets thrown off, and then all of a sudden they end up uh, dying in what is probably a very torturous death. Yeah, and and the um, agencies that are saying there's no direct connection, these are the government agencies, and unfortunately you, you can't listen to them because they're the same ones responsible for leasing these lands out for this purpose. So, they're, again, they're all invested. They can't possibly create a connection because if they were to say anything, even implying it, that's legal liability down the road. So it's just everything is going to be denied. Nothing is happening. It's totally unrelated. They won't look into it. If they have any information, it won't get released. So forget about it. It doesn't really matter. This is going forward. That's pretty much what they're saying. And uh, let's go to Robert in Suffolk. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Bobby. Hi, Curtis and Nancy. Yes, Robert. Hello? Yes. Ah, good. Yeah, problems with the phones. I know. Yeah, no, it's uh, Mr. Verizon. I'm going to uh, take care of him right after this show. But go ahead, Robert. Okay, thank you, Doug. In Nebraska... Two illegal immigrants shot and killed a bald eagle. They plucked it and were going to roast it on a campfire spit when they were caught by park rangers. They were arrested by state officials, but not federal officials who were called in to respond to this. This is a disgrace and an outrage. Well, Rob, uh, it's worse than that. They just got a fine, and it was minimal compared to, for instance, to give you an example, Robert, uh, there are elements of the Asian community who believe that if you take a horseshoe crab and you gut it out, there's a piece of the horseshoe crab in the undercarriage that is an aphrodisiac. So they'll go into Jamaica Bay, which is a federal preserve between Brooklyn and Queens, and they'll try to find the horseshoe crabs late at night. The federal police will be in helicopters with spotlights. They'll catch them. They're under threat of incarceration, and they have to pay tens of thousands of dollars, and that's just a horseshoe crab. You would think the fine imposed for killing or maiming or injuring our nation's symbol, the bald eagle, would be so, so severe, so extreme, Nobody would want to come near a bald eagle and wishing harm on it. We're an endangered species. Yeah, and by the way, remember when we were growing up, there was the thought, Nancy, I know you were out in Bohemia many, many years before you were out there playing with all the insects and all the animals. Uh, Likewise, I was doing that in Canarsie, Brooklyn, where they had a lot of lots uh, before the subdivisions. If you came across a praying mantis, yeah. everybody knew, don't touch that praying mantis, don't take a wing off, don't injure it, because there will be a fine that will put your mom and dad in the poor farm, uh, and uh, you might be locked up. We, As little kids, the rumor was so persistent 
You see a praying mantis, that's an endangered species. You better run from the praying mantis and better hope yeah, not, no I harm comes to it. I remember hearing that, too, growing up. <laughs> yeah, and I, I don't know if it's urban myth, whatever, but, boy, everybody seemed to know that. You'd see a praying mantis and you'd move away from it as far as possible. Obviously, you wanted to observe it and try to figure out, <clears throat> gee, why is it, this such a special insect? Well, boy, they put the fear into everybody. You better not harm that prayer mantis. Now, Nancy, if people would like to stay in touch with you, how can they contact you? Uh, GuardianAngels.org, Admiral Protection tab. Uh, They can also email me, Nancy at GuardianAngels.org. And we've just celebrated our 44th anniversary, uh, Guardian Angel groups all over the world. Some of them doing the same work that Nancy does, one of our ancillary programs, the Guardian Angel Animal Welfare Division. Go, as Nancy stated, to www.guardianangels.org, and you can see that tab right there for the Guardian Angel Animal uh, Protection uh, Division. And again, a brand-new edition, exclusive to WABC. Once a week, we film a half-hour video of an animal welfare issue, featuring Nancy and myself, generally different than what you hear on the radio show. So what you do is you type in YouTube, well, you go to YouTube, and then you type in Red Apple Media, that's Red Apple Media, and you'll see three episodes that are up uh, that you can watch and share and blast them out and have other people uh, uh, pay note, to, pay attention to them. And we've got a fourth one that will be uh, uploaded on Wednesday, available to all of you about the issue involving animals, the pigeons, the street pigeons in New York City that people either hate, loathe, or like. And we'll be, uh, we uh, discuss it for a full half hour with photos, with videos, everything you could possibly expect on an animal, animal welfare show that fe- features on the pigeons that back in the 60s were referred to as rats with wings. And again, you could uh, listen to all the past episodes of this Animal Welfare Radio Edition exclusive of the WABC by going to www.wabcradio.com. And boy, you see all the podcasts, and we've done so many at this point, and it's all about all different animal-related issues. So, Nancy, prepare yourself, because on Tuesday night, I know you and others will be flocking into Central Park when there's a full moon. And earning your nickname, Lone Wolf One, you'll probably be baying to the moon with the coyotes and wolves that might be out there. Yes. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Uh, I've got work to do. I've got to go strangle Mr. Verizon. But up next, warming up in the bullpen, Dominic Carter, brother to brother, he who has been in many a black church service hearing the reverend at the bully pulpit talk about how Jesus, the Mashiach, has anointed one in this flock or another flock to be the savior of our city, of our state and our nation. And apparently that is Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. W-A-B-C.
This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com. 